Welcome to MVP, our new podcast for anyone that loves to learn new things. I'm Kate. And I'm Jack, and we both work at an online school, MVA. Like most educators, we are passionate about sharing knowledge. And love the sound of our own voices. Each week, we'll invite a special guest to join us for fun and engaging discussions on a wide range of topics, from careers advice to social issues. So sit back, relax, and let's get into it. Hello and welcome back to another episode of MVP and I'm really excited this week because we have another guest finally um, but also we have the first guest I thought of when Jack and I were starting this series was you Frank so I hope you're honoured. So um, welcome Frank, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're going to be talking about on this pod. Hi Kate, hi Jack, thank you so much for having me. Yeah no I'm, I'm really excited really um buzzing to be here to be honest I love to last few podcasts and like I said I actually learned quite a lot on the politics one as well so there you well, go and um, as I said you must be one of five people that actually listen <laughs> so thank you for the feedback yeah, it makes three of us in this room who learned a lot from the politics episode so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so I guess we're here to talk all things neurodiversity and uh, happy to share with you whatever I can so firstly neurodiversity this is something that I feel like from a very naive perspective is probably not a relatively new term, but it's a new term for lots of people over the last couple of years. What does this actually mean? Um, and what does this mean for you as well? Yeah, great question. So on one hand, it can be a really complex answer. And then on the other hand, it can be quite simple. Um, it really depends on whether you're looking at it from a sort of legal point of view, medical point of view, social point of view. If we sort of look at it in more broadly, um, neurodiversity really when we talk about neurodiversity we're talking about diversity in general so mm-hmm. um, the medical perspective is often to do with sort of clinical diagnoses and uh, often relates to uh, deficiencies or things that are sort of normal and not normal um, you know you have terms like ADHD attention mm-hmm. deficit hyperactivity disorder so it's, it's a lot of sort of telling you what's wrong with you which yeah, is okay. why people are moving away uh, from that sort of medical terminology towards this sort of neuro, uh, neurodiversity sort of acceptance more broadly. And as I said, really, neurodiversity is just a form of diversity. We look at the beautiful sort of trees and colours and, and plants and, and nature and animals around us. We take that as a given. We look at the fact that we've all got different heights and genders and eye colours and things like that. We take that as a given. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same is true for our brains. And that's, that's really sort of what it comes down to. Um, the idea that, uh, you know, we can all sort of be born uh, in a certain way, you know, yeah, we don't we, necessarily control these things. And, and we don't all can... fit in that box, do we? And I, I exactly. think, you know, that that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about understanding and embracing difference, I suppose, rather than it being, you know, almost this accusatory. I, I know certainly from a teacher's perspective, you sometimes look at, okay, right, who in the class got ADHD? who's got dyslexia, who's got this, and and these labels become, you know, very much, you don't really think past what that actually means about the child. It's just like a, right, you've got this label, you're this. So Frank, tell us about you, what you're doing, um, and and kind of your links with this field. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it really sort of touches on what you've just said there, which is, you know, um, we're so used to sort of giving labels or having labels and and on one hand that can be helpful on another that can not be helpful um, so 
I uh, went through school doing sort of fairly well. Uh, I always had the word conscientious in my school report. So, <laughs> sort of, you know, the fact that I sort of wanted to do well, I meant well. Um, I can see that, that for you. I was working really, really hard. And so, you know, on the face of it, as you say, from a teacher's perspective, people were just like, yeah, plodding along, you know, good old Frank, sort of fairly reliable. But on the inside, it was a real struggle, real, real struggle. Um, as I say, really sort of characterized by just hard work, always sort of out outworking people sort of longer and longer hours and I particularly remember sort of um, applying for, for uh, unis and just seeing my friends sort of go to bed at like normal time and I was sort of late in the night revising for A-levels or writing applications and stuff like that um, and I didn't find out I'm dyspraxic until I was 20 and I didn't find out I'm, I've got ADHD until I was 30 uh, so fairly late in life but um, what's really common as is in the case in our family is that um, as more and more people are being diagnosed or caught a little bit earlier in life, is that family members around them will also be looking at the symptoms or looking at the behavior list and go, oh, that's that's me or that's my husband or that's my daughter yeah. or whoever. And so, you know, my diagnosis led to my mum's diagnosis and wow. um, my uncle and some people in our family, which is really, really common. And as I say, I'd, I'd uh, gone through school not knowing that, I'd gone through university not knowing that, I'd gone through a sort of 10-year career in marketing not knowing that. And uh, as soon as I got the diagnosis, I was just telling you both off, off camera, but um, it just, everything clicked into place for me. I thought, I know I've always felt differently. I've always had a sort of good problem solving approach. It's called masking, which is something we can potentially get into in a moment. This idea of like um, covering up where you feel your, your weaknesses are. And because I'd been fairly good at masking, people had seen me do well, but internally it had been a real struggle. And I thought, well, I can't go back and change the last 30 years of my life and my struggle but I can hopefully um, offer that support to other people uh, going through a similar thing. So I, I just, I just want to sort of say, so I, I know you from socially, so we've, we've known each other for quite a long time, but we've not known it. We don't know each other very, very well. So you're, you're friends with my sister um, and we used to cross paths at Halloween parties and many a night, you know, um, we won't go into details, um, <laughs> but I have to say, Frank, you know, you've always been a standout individual as for somebody that pays somebody quite a lot of attention and is a, in a really positive way. So you've got a very good reputation amongst people, I would say. And I, I don't know you particularly well at all, but you've always, you're always, everyone loves Frank, right? Everyone, you're, you're the kind of person who you, you come back to after maybe seeing for, th not seeing for three or four years and you've you ask the pertinent questions you remember and you've always pay you pay people lots of interest and attention which for me almost conflicts with a typical stereotype of ADHD which might be perceived as kind of scatty and moving from one thing to the next what what's your kind of take on that and and I'm not I'm not inventing that by the way I'm not you are like that you do pay attention you do remember you know you are you yeah. are a really good person to know and be around I would say well first of all I, I'm blushing so thank you I wasn't expecting <laughs> the compliment um, and, that, and that means a lot but it, that's a that's an interesting one and that's a really good example of sort of how on the external sort of outside of things you might sort of be coping really well on internally you're sort of constantly um, it feels like sometimes I'm catching up with people and, and you're right that the sort of stereotypical um, image we have of ADHD in particular is of this sort of hyperactive, maybe nine year old running around and pulling cushions up and stuff. 
Whereas actually, um, you know, just if we sort of focus on ADHD just for a second, um, for a start, there are three presentations. So you've got the physical hyperactivity, you've got um, inattentive, which is a sort of mental hyperactivity, this idea of a busy brain. Okay. Um, and then you've got a combined presentation. And I've very much been in that middle camp of just a really busy, whirring brain. And that can sometimes lead to really, um, you know, sort of lots of energy and outpouring of, of excitement, particularly when you see people and socially. And sort of, um, I have a pretty decent long-term memory, but a, a short-term memory, I can absolutely see um, <laughs> so, You know, and, that, and so I've learned um, over the years, as I say, so I went 30 years figuring out the hard way, like what my sort of blind spots were. And then suddenly it sort of made sense that um, I had a, a, an academic profile, a sort of a, a personalized profile done. And it suddenly made a lot of sense that actually um, my speed processing is quite slow, but my problem solving is quite high and things like that. And um, one of the things that we, one of the sort of common terms we use around neurodiversity is this idea of a spiky profile. And just to really, really, really simplify it, the idea of a spiky profile is if you imagine a sort of neurotypical person, so there's no such thing as a normal person or an average mm -hmm. person, but we talk about neurotypical. Um, the neurotypical person would be pretty good at, uh, I would say, I hate using the word average, but for the sake of sort of simplification, yeah. let's say, averagely good at, let's say, um, getting their homework done, getting their um, studies done, staying on top of things, eating right, gym, you know, relationships, family, whatever it might be. Um, with a spiky profile um, that you often see with sort of um, neurodistinct individuals is that you might sort of over-index in one area and under-index in the other. And that can lead to a lot of inconsistency. So you might have sort of huge bursts of energy or huge crashes of energy that follow. Um, I'd had that throughout my career. I'd worked at really fun places like Innocent Drinks and Cadbury's and, and, and I sort of always I, I remember all the goodies. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> bringing the bags of chocolate and you know, lots of highs and, and things I enjoyed in my career. But also periods of just sort of crashing and thinking like, whoa, what's going on here? And I think that sort of characterizes the, the internal conflict I was facing, which is like, just trying to keep up with people right. and for some reason I couldn't quite just get to grips with some of the things that people around me seem to find really normal. I, I really like the idea you described it there as a spiky profile because being a teacher mm. and having uh, lots of neurodiverse students um, we're trained we have days where we, we talk about um, the different profiles of neurodiverse student but actually what you find is they never exactly fit the mold that you're preparing them for um, and every student is so different that uh, quite a lot of it often has to be led by getting to know them and and you know having a few lessons with them and knowing what works well for that student what doesn't work well for that student within the the um, guidance you've been given uh, with that so spiky profiles are really really good way to describe it me. yeah and and just thinking about that and, and the point that kate made earlier about you know uh, labels or sort of as a teacher's perspective you know if you think well someone's dyslexic suddenly you think they can't spell or mm -hmm. you know there's dyscalculia about you know to do with numbers and dysgraphia and, and all sorts of things and so much of them are based around what you can't do and that's where again this broader term in neurodiversity is actually just celebrating the differences in thinking um understanding that we we might have different problem solving approaches and, and as you say often the reason that these uh, labels or these children in the classroom are perceived negatively is because we're focusing so much on what they can't do rather yeah. than allowing them the freedom to explore what they can do. So um, you've you've gone into coaching then? Yes. Yeah. So as I said, that, that diagnosis for me was a really personal, really um, powerful experience. 
um, there's a there's a really sort of beautiful Japanese concept called ikigai, which is uh, effectively sort of a Venn diagram of four circles: things that you love, things that the world needs, things that you're good at, things that you can be paid for. <laughs> and I'd always been wondering what is what is my ikigai going to be? And suddenly I just realized like I found it, and Aww. I I realized that I can hopefully be that support um, for people who um, are experiencing the same sort of questions and self-doubt or challenges. Um, they might be doing well, they might not feel like they're doing so well, um, but you know, we all come with questions. And uh, as I say, that that decision to change career and to sort of change chocolates and smoothies for uh, coaching <laughs> might appear like a strange one, but I, I love it. And I love working with people. I work with a lot of- um, Wasn't sort of there magic to- in there somewhere along the road? <laughs> Yeah, well remembered. Yeah, absolutely. I love magic. I'm a real magic nerd to the point that I went all the way to South Korea to watch the Magic World Cup. That's a little known fact about me. But yeah, well remembered, Kate. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not doing that in my coaching. Maybe, uh, maybe one day. Um, But yeah, it's it's a lot about sort of self understanding and sort of helping people work out in a way that works for them. Really, you know, um, the the thing that I felt going through that diagnosis process was you don't know what you don't know, which is, okay, so I've got ADHD. What does that mean? And then, mm-hmm. okay, now I know what it means. Well, what do I do with this information? How do I get support? What does support look like? Um, I remember saying to my employer at the time, you know, here's my sort of diagnosis letter. And they said, you know, what, what support can we give you? And I didn't know what to ask. And yeah. then, <laughs> you know, so, so there's just so much um, exploration to do in, as to what it means. And each person will view and experience it differently. Um, so yeah that's, that's hopefully what I help people with and, and I suppose with those conversations that you have with young people I, 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 is a lot of it with the parents or the, the families surrounding them as well because I'd imagine when, that, when they get that diagnosis they can do a lot of research but they're probably looking for a bit of help in how they can then support that young person as well yeah you're absolutely right and I, I'm really glad you mentioned that Jack because neurodiversity includes everyone, not just the neurodistinct individuals that might have ADHD or dyspraxia or dyslexia or any other conditions. Um, It includes everyone because you work with them, you might live with them, you might have them in your family, um, you might be one. And so you're absolutely right. It's not just about, oh, you know, you've got this label, it's your problem. Um, And I always work with parents and when I have my sort of initial discovery calls, I always um, invite them to to both be on the call together if, if they're um, sort of under 18 in particular this idea of bringing out into the open you know what's on your mind as a parent what's on your mind as the individual making sure that the parent isn't just saying you know these are the areas I want fixed or anything like that because that's not how I see it um, you know everyone will have strengths they just may not have tapped into them yet and so it's is very much about bringing sort of people along the way at the same time sort of respecting privacy and things like that the the way I often position it is I'm not a parent, so I'm never going to tell you you've got to be a lawyer, you've got to be a yeah. doctor. Uh, I'm not your teacher. I'm not going to set you sort of huge amounts of homework or tell you off if you haven't done it. Uh, not that I'm sure you two do that. Uh, <laughs> and I'm equally, I won't be going to the park or the pub with you when you're 18 because it's important that we have that sort of defined boundary. Um, yet you can speak to me really, really plainly. So I'm not, you know, you don't call me sir or anything like that. Um, if it, if we talk about it in the room, it stays with me. Obviously, there are sort of broader health implications. I need to sort of um, raise if I'm concerned about them but thankfully that's not happened and uh, yeah it just sort of stays in the room gives us an opportunity to sort of throw ideas and, and, and work on things together. What, what are some of the main challenges um, that individuals face whether that's in education employment social settings mm. what are some of the the um, 
the big ones that you're kind of that you've come across and and if any for anyone listening who who might face these challenges is there any advice or any strategies that you could give them free advice guys (laughs) (laughs) absolutely so yeah so the common themes are um you know particularly around adhd lots of of celebrities are are coming out talking about adhd which is in terms of driving a lot of normalization and, and therefore um, people seeking diagnosis for ADHD. So that's sort of increasingly um, common. Um, and when we talk about ADHD in particular, we talk about six executive functions. It's a really sort of unsexy okay. word. <laughs> Effectively, executive functions, I would say, are sort of core life skills, things that help us get ourselves together. And those six, if I can test myself on top of my head, are <laughs> activation, focus, energy, emotion, memory, and action. So in between those six, it might be organization, it might be procrastination, it might be um, forgetfulness, it might be, um, you know, emotional swings, as I talked about earlier, so being really high energy and then low energy, Mm -hmm. and not necessarily being um, aware of of the impact either on ourselves or on other people. So each client will have a different look on things, each person will have a different um, need, and always sort of tailored towards them. But um, those are the sort of the starting points, so to speak. And that's the tips. Woo! <laughs> uh, um, so I'm always mindful about not, um, you know, because of what we're saying is that everyone is different. And, yeah. uh, you know, we want to sort of um, tap into each different strengths. Um, I'm always mindful of giving real blanket uh, statements on, on tips. But a couple of things that I would say more generally are, you know, for example, um, we talk a lot about the power of the pause. So thinking for a second about, just slowing myself down, you know, if I'm, for example, eating too fast or eating too much, or if I'm, I'm always forgetting my keys, you know, just adding a little pause in there, just um, being really conscious and mindful. In fact, that's why I called the business conscious clarity, because yeah. the, con- the conscious was about that sort of mindfulness, that awareness, and clarity was about um, seeing through the fog, you know, on a bad day, I'd really just compare it to uh, like the, the mentors in, in Hogwarts sort of coming down and everything turning gray and you can't see through the fog mm. and you know nothing really makes sense and you're really unmotivated so um hopefully the coaching gives you that but you know there are other options as well so um, you're are you the patronus frank <laughs> you know what i hadn't actually made that connection but I, I, and i don't know i don't want to go around saying that because someone will clip no, it i'm, up I'm happy for you too i'm happy for you too you <laughs> heard it here first coach. guys <laughs> No, um, but yes, I think adding the, you know, adding a sort of pause um, into whatever you're doing is always a good start starting point. Just sort of what am I actually doing here? You know, if I'm using my phone too much, that's another sort of common one. You know, actually, what is it? Oh, it's the mindful scrolling. Okay, well, what is it that I can do about that? So um, in my case, I've just, I use an app called Freedom to sort of block certain apps at certain times. I um, have it on grayscale at certain times as well. Yeah, just to sort of help really um, limit how attractive and how fun being on the phone can be because you know we've got the sort of world at our fingertips there yeah um and more broadly um another sort of nice exercise is five senses exercise i don't know if you've ever heard of it but it's nice. the idea of if you're if you're a little bit stuck and you feel like you've got a lot going on um this idea of five four three two one so it's fi- um stop take a look around you so what are five things i can see what are five four things i can touch three things i can hear two that I can smell and one that I can taste and just really rooting yourself in the moment and slowing yourself down and thinking okay those are the things you know and just just paying attention to them intentionally 
as a way of thinking right okay uh I can I feel like that's so useful like broader than that yeah yeah like I, I've I've had I, I get quite bad anxiety but um not not so much anymore in the daytime, but I, I wake myself up at night with like a high heart rate and, and need to sort of calm myself down. And I feel like that is absolutely something that would really help you be in the moment. And I don't know, just be more present and less in your own head. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was listening to your exam, uh, you know, top tips, uh, revision podcast, you know, that's something you could do at the start of an exam, for example, yeah. or, um, you know, as you're sitting down to do your homework or whatever it might be, just sort of rooting yourself in the moment. Um, really sort of nice, simple thing you can do, um, you know, while you're waiting for a cup of tea to, to brew or whatever. Um, and the final point I'd make just uh, in terms of tips is to think about communication because so much of what we do in life is about communication both with ourselves and with other people you know how we speak to ourselves how we speak to other people um not sure she'd necessarily appreciate me saying this but I'll say it anyway um you know my wonderful girlfriend uh she and I uh, we'd be driving and I'd often say things like oh remind me when we you know remind me to fill up with petrol or something like that you know remind me when we get home to do this and one day she turned around to me and said uh I'm not your Alexa, you know, I'm not your PA. Uh, to start, why do you treat me like Alexa? And um, I thought, oh, yeah, um, that's a good point. I, did, I didn't realise it was coming off that way. And actually, it, really, it led to a really constructive uh, conversation about how we communicate. And effectively, the reason I was saying that is because, again, as I touched on earlier, I know that I've got a terrible short-term memory. Yeah. And what I was doing was sort of thinking out loud, verbally processing. My sort of logic was two brains are better than one. And allowing... Uh, not not putting the onus on her, like not putting too much pressure on her, but sort of just um, sharing the us... mental load, basically. It, yeah. Exactly, and you know, vice versa. I'd be happy for her to do the same. And it led to a really good conversation now, where we understand each other a little bit better in that way, and um, sort of sharing and and communicating. And you know, the same thing is is true for parents or teachers. You know, actually, uh, you know, mom or dad or whoever. I really like it when you know you share this or when you remind me this or you tell me that, and you know. I, it doesn't really motivate me when you dot 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 um and sort of being quite open about those communication things is, is just so important on like a wider scale and it's it's something that we are never taught we are never openly taught how to communicate you know even we we all work remotely with our our school and so that means that our communication tools are very different to when you're sat next to somebody in an office or when you're working in a school building and you're in a classroom. And so we, you need to learn how you communicate when you're not with these people day in, day out, and they can pick up on your like raised eyebrow or cheeky smile or, you know, or they, or they can see you rolling your eyes if you're annoyed at something. And, and it's something that's so, so significant. I think particularly as you grow up and you have adult relationships you really need to learn how how your partner or your friendships or your family how they're receiving your communication how you want to receive communication from them as well and it's just it's just not something that we ever ever really think about no absolutely and you know I worked at a few different companies and even within a company you could have the same job title and the same sort of structure for example but even within a company there might be different norms different sort of social you know what's accepted uh, in terms of communication and this and it takes a lot of navigation that, that again we don't get taught um it's it can be quite uncomfortable again if you you know if you sort of acknowledge that you think differently or you sort of act differently um again that's where this concept of masking comes in 
this idea of like, I feel like I'm trying extra hard writing an email because I'm second guessing every word that I say. And yet over the course of my career, I did have times where people would say like, whoa, that email was a bit strong or a bit blunt or a bit like, did you mean that? And I'd, and I'd reread it back and I'd have no problem with it. But written text in particular, there's no, con- there's no, um, no. you know, mm-hmm. uh, there's no intonation. There's no, you know, uh, it's very difficult to get the, the context in which it was meant to be said other than the sort of the pure words in black and white. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking about that classroom context as well, you know, we talked about, um, you know, students sort of being really um, energetic or, or quote unquote distracting, you know, things like a little uh, fidget cube. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but you can get them on Amazon. They're like the 10 quid and they've got like six sides. One of them has buttons. One of them has a switch, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And they could be really good for someone who is busy as a way of sort of keeping themselves stimulated to have that in the non-writing hand, you know, particularly if you're in a virtual school, yeah. uh, you know, you're not distracting anyone with any noises, but it can keep you sort of physically occupied which in turn helps your your mind focus as well. Um, And so just coming to terms with actually like, I feel really comfortable when I do this. Uh, Is it going to be a problem? Uh, Hopefully not. Great. Then everyone's better off. Yeah. So continuing the theme of communication, um, are there any ways that neurotypical individuals can be inclusive and supportive of neurodivergent peers? Yeah, that, that is a fantastic question. And again, it's one that, I'm learning more on all the time and, and different people will have different opinions. So um, the first thing I would say is to to come at any questions with curiosity rather than judgment. Um, you know, so much of, as we've talked about, uh, of neurodiversity and that sort of world is, you know, why can't you do this? Haven't you done that? And this is so easy. Why don't you find it easy? Um, and that's not always the case. You know, as we talked about the spiky profile, some things are easy, some things are not. So the first thing I'd say is come with curiosity rather than judgment, you know, um, just be open, you know, I've noticed that you do this. Um, why is that? Or, you know, I've noticed sometimes um, that you're a little bit quieter when, you know, is there a particular reason, you know, can I help you? Um, so so curiosity rather than judgment is a big one. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a uh, something called rejection sensitivity dysphoria, which is a, a heightened sensitivity to negative feedback. And so, you know, you can take things really personally. So curiosity over judgment all day long. Um, and the other thing would be to to speak to the people around you that you might be thinking of and, and asking them, you know, what are their preferences? Um, we won't get too technical today, but there are things like identity first language, um, person first language and understanding, you know, would I rather be called someone who is um, a person with ADHD or an ADHD, for example, a dyspraxic individual or a person with dyspraxic, uh, dyspraxia? Lots of different sort of nuances um, and they can vary by individual. So, um, you know, I wouldn't make assumptions or presumptions about people from many other parts of their life. So, yeah. um, you know, the same applies here, really, just sort of allowing people to um, shape shape that language together in that school or work or home environment. So you've been you've been working as a as a coach, and I and I I guess you can't you can't go into any details, but are there any real success stories where you know you can you can you've seen these changes, and you know that actually if you if you get help and advice it can make a real difference yeah so if we first I think in order to answer the question we have to ask what is coaching first of all and we haven't touched on that but yeah but coaching is is a funny one because in a way it is whatever you want it to be um you know whereas teaching tends to be sort of a sharing of information or a flow of information in particularly in sort of in one direction yeah um the coaching is a sort of a shared 
platform of you know no judgment um sort of broad discussion the way um you might hear a lot of coaches is like effectively holding up a mirror to enable the person to sort of see their best reflection um so gets the, gets the best out of themselves so um a lot of the stuff i work on and um, people have worked with might be pushing for promotions so sort of helping people with that you know early in their careers maybe their sort of first job out of uni um i've just been working with today someone finishing their dissertation in uh, media journalism sports media so you know just helping them um break down the tasks a little bit for that for their particular project working out um you know so much of what i do is not about telling them what to do or giving them a, a script or anything like that um it's just helping them sort of ease out and tease out the um the things that are, are, are holding them back often i call it like a sort of tipping your brain upside down just sort of shaking it a little bit around to see what comes out you know I know I'm generally on the right track when I hear, oh yeah, I didn't think <laughs> of that. And you just helped me sort of realize like, and, and often um, I'm not necessarily, um, you know, I'm not providing the answers because I can't be an expert on, on anything, on everything, but it's just helping them sort of giving them a safe space to reflect and work out the solutions for them. So yeah, successes, uh, promotions, what else have we had? Um, yeah, grades, that's a big one I'm working on a lot of people at the moment, sort of just helping that sort of home organization ahead of gra uh, grades, um, could be um, applying for, for jobs or for universities and might be sort of supporting through people, people through that. Um, you know, one of the things that is often sort of overlooked is within your university, say you get diagnosed at school and you, you know, that's, that involves paperwork in and of itself and mm -hmm. forms and tests. You know, you might then go off to university and you get a disability student's allowance. That's more forms and more tests that neurotypical people are not doing. Not good at. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so exactly. So you've got um, people who generally struggle with organisation or things like that. I'm, I'm obviously sort of generalising there. Yeah. But you've got the, the, the ND neurodistinct individuals who may struggle with organisation and paperwork and things like that. I speak from experience because that's my weak point. And yet you're giving them all this extra paperwork and forms to fill in that their neurotypical peers don't have to do, um, which is why you might often hear it called the ADHD tax or the, you know, uh, whatever it might be tax, because, you know, the number of sunglasses I've lost or the number of forms I've filled in badly and that's sort of too late and I've missed the deadline and then I can't get a refund or whatever it might be. You know, it, it adds up and, and that's where... See, in, in our house, we just call that idiot tax. <laughs> <laughs> We've got... A, there's a bank that just goes, offers... You know, it's, it's a way to, to just be like, don't worry... Like it was just idiot tax, okay? That's just that. Like if I've if I've not paid a parking fine or if I've not made a reservation, and so they charge me the deposit because I've forgotten all about it. And like the way that like my husband and I, we just tell ourselves it's idiot tax. It was bound to come up at some point throughout the year. So. <laughs> well, firstly, I'd say I, I, no, but no. Secondly, no, I, I I love it, and you know, call it whatever you like. There's sort of this acknowledgement that actually these things happen, and that's yeah. okay. And, and sort of allowing space for for mistakes as, as well as successes, right? Yeah, yeah, and it not being. I think one of the things with 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 anyone with with we're so unkind to ourselves. We never speak to ourselves the same way that we speak to other people. Never, and actually you know everyone makes mistakes and you would never turn to your best friend and be like why have you done that 
I can't believe you've done that. You should have blah, la 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 la. But that's exactly how we talk to ourselves, regardless of uh, of any of uh, whether you're neurotypical, neurodivergent. We could all be so much kinder to ourselves, I think, and 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 learn to um, not be our own sort of harshest critic. There was one thing I wanted to ask. Yes. If this, if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking this resonates this is all making a lot of sense how does somebody get a diagnosis because you mentioned it happening in school but then of course your mm. diagnosis was much later mm. yeah that's a that's a great question and this is one that that uh, i get all the time so um if you're sort of going through school or going through uni or in some sort of organization uh, like that whereby there's sort of um, hopefully a, a support network um you know reach out first and foremost to People like your Senco, so special educational needs coordinators, raise the question. You know, actually, um, are there any sort of profile tests you can run? Um, you know, there's also uh, educational psychologists; they can run sort of deeper profile tests. And again, as I mentioned, so I, I know sort of my scores versus the average population or versus the total population. I mean, and um, it gives you an indication of actually, like this, this is my strength. This is my um, starting point for what I want to do with a lot of things, and this is the area that I maybe have most challenges in. Um, so I'd start with, but start by speaking to a, a SENCO or your, your sort of closest um, special educational needs um, support. As I say, there are uh, educational psychologists um, who can who can support. Um, I would also invite the conversation with a GP. I know mm -hmm. that currently diagnosis lists are, are, are quite significant. You know, there's that COVID backlog. Um, but nonetheless, it's I think it's an important part of the piece to involve your GP because they've got a bigger picture on you know what your overall um, medical history looks like and they you know they know what your medication you might already be taking or um, you know so I wouldn't do anything without involving them um, just to get their opinion um, and then in terms of diagnosis there are lots of different routes um, psychologists um, psychiatrists uh, prescribing nurses different people with different qualifications are, um, can be equally qualified to diagnose um, as I say, the NHS, unfortunately, at the moment in the, here in the UK, it takes a yeah. little while. Um, so, you know, I, myself, like a lot of people, go privately. Um, but uh, the other thing I'd ask is just to sort of ask around the people you know. And actually, oh, you know, my cousin mentioned that his best friend has it. What does that look like for him? Actually, I resonate with a lot of that. Or can I ask where he went and, um, you know, to ask these questions? Um, and as I said right at the beginning, it, so much of it comes down to you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, and what I'd love to build conscious clarity up to is, is to a point where, you know, we can help sort of more people answer more questions in this way um, because it can feel really isolating when you're going through that on your own. No, I, I bet. So we're going to move on now to some of our other features, which as I know, yes. as you've listened, <laughs> then um, you should know what these are coming up. Um, but first, shall we do Classroom Confessional, Jack? We shall, yes. Um, so Classroom Confessional, if this is your first episode that you're tuning in, is a time for um, students, listeners of the podcast to submit a question to us where we will hopefully be able to provide some advice. Um, so this one's to do with exams. With exam seasons coming up, we've had this at the podcast. Uh, podcast at minervavirtual.com email so if you have questions yourself please do send them to that email um, but it is about exams and it's saying I'm someone who struggles to pace myself during an exam and I always find myself running out of time no matter how hard I try do you have any tips or recommendations of things I can do to stop this so the first thing I sort of thought of was 
it hark back to when I was doing exams, because particularly with the English language and literature ones, where you're writing and writing and writing, and you're not going from question to question, you're, you're kind of just have to bear in mind, you know, particularly if it's like a creative writing task, that's what I'm thinking of here, where you don't really know when you're coming to the end until you're getting to the end. And so yeah. what helped me with that was creating, you know, spending five, 10 minutes at the start of a, an exam like that, creating a plan and saying, by this time, I need yeah. to have written the action in the middle. By this time, I'm no matter what, I'm going to start on my ending. It's kind of like um, we've spoken about mountain climbing before, but they always have a turn back time um, where you you go in for the summit, but if it reaches this time and you've not made the summit, you've got to turn back anyway because it's too dangerous. It's that, but in an exam, you know, you're, you're heading for the end. It, by this time, if you've not started the end, you've got to start it now. Otherwise, you're not going to have time. That's yeah. what I sort of built into my exams. But does anybody else have any other advice? I'm, yeah, really similar. Like the English language papers, people get so caught up on paper one where you're doing all this reading analysis and then you've got a 40 mark question at the end if it's AQA language, which is the main one that I know. And 40 marks, that's half the paper. And people are just sort of getting to it in the last 15 minutes because they spent half an hour on an eight marker. So yeah, if you can figure out, if you can look at the clock in your exam hall and not just say, not just say I'm going to spend 10 minutes on this, 10 minutes on that, actually identify at 12.45, I should, I'll be moving on to here. At 1.15, I'll be here and, and kind of do it like that. That might be a way to really really to like put it in real terms not just somewhere wishy-washy in your mind you know that you need to spend 10 10 minutes on question one actually identify what that looks like frank any advice yeah i was going to say similar to you both i would always invite someone to read the paper through at least once i'd say probably twice just first before you even pick up the pen just read read through the paper just become comfortable with the question um you know not only will that allow your brain to sort of work through the question in the subconscious you know, it will sort of be thinking about, okay, these are all the other questions I've got to think about. Um, but it allows you, as I said, take a time to pause, right? To really think it through. Um, I'm not a big fan of following rules or sort of linear progression. So in that sort of scenario, I would probably pick the 40, quest, 40, page, uh, 40 mark question rather. First, I would just go, right, this is where the bulk of the grades is. I'm, I'm going to go focus here. And your English teachers would love you for it, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing as well is um, no one really told me uh, at the time, just use, use the paper, so jot down. My, I, by the time I graduated university, my first page of exam was basically just notes. I just would write mm -hmm. at the top notes. <laughs> and yeah. then I would put, you know, question one, question two, question three, keywords, um, so top tips or whatever I could think of for myself, any quotes or, or key people. And again, as I'm writing question one, I might think of a great point for question three. So I go and quickly put that in in the notes page. And then when I do get to question three, I've got time to, um, to you know, I've let that marinate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, right, I'm going to move on to teach liar because I'm conscious of time. Um, so we've got, for, for people who are listening in for the first time, this is the feature Teacher Liar Pants on Fire, where I am going to read three uh, statements, three supposedly factual statements, and you two are going to have to determine which one of these is a lie. So two of them are correct and one of them is a lie. So number one. It's estimated that the typical pencil has enough graphite to draw a line of 35 miles long. That's number one. Number two, scientists have successfully reversed the aging process of the DNA in mice. 
That's number two. And number three, the rainbow-winged hummingbird is known to migrate across six continents, making it the only bird species to have a global distribution. That's a tricky one. <laughs> They're all very oh, feasible. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I've done my job well. <laughs> yeah. For the podcast listeners, they won't see, but my face was a, a com- confused and uh, conflicted as I heard all of those. So we've really got the 35 imagine. miles with with mm. a single pencil with the graphite. We've got scientists reversing the aging process in mice. And we've got the hummingbird that spans um, six continents, making it the only world, the only bird with global distribution. For me, the one that stands out as weird is the mice one, because reversing the aging process in a mice we've got these benjamin benjamin button mice surely they're not shrinking they're not getting smaller they're not turning into baby mice as this is going on because where are the cells going where's the the gunk of the mouse going at that point uh that that's the my gunk thoughts. of the mouse yeah the gunk of the mouse yeah the yeah the the stuff of the mouse it's uh it's got to go somewhere it can't just keep shrinking uh, I, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna question the third one only because I think you said it was a hummingbird. Mm-hmm. Is that it? And I just got they're so small and they've got such tiny wings. I, are they really flying like all these big oceans and stuff? Yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna need an answer. I'm going for that one. Which one are you going for? I, I, okay, Frank's convinced me there actually. Yeah, because <laughs> a hummingbird flying across like the Atlantic Ocean, it's not happening. But I, 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 yeah, I would say that's the lie as well. Damn it, Frank! I had yeah. him. <laughs> That is the lie. That is the lie. So scientists have um, managed to reverse the aging process in mice. I mean, who knows? I'll I'll find out more details and let you know. Um, (laughs) So our last two, our last, our last thing then is our MVPs of the week. Um, And Jack and I should have somebody from the week that has inspired us. And Frank, you can decide which out of our two figures um, you think (laughs) deserves to be MVP of the week. That feels like so much pressure. Yeah, and and remember that you have a long-standing relationship with me, Frank, and, you know. (laughs) Jack, do you want to go first? Yeah, Frank, I'm going to send you down a guilt trip here so you can't say no to mine. So mine is Dr. Felicity Fishman. Um, And Dr. Felicity Fishman um, is... uh, a painter, an artist, a hero, really, in that um, she works in a children's ward and a hospital. And we've got these poor children coming in and they've got broken arms, got broken legs. And actually, that's quite a distressing thing to go through as a child. So what she does is she paints them and she paints things like Elsa, um, things like SpongeBob. They're actually quite good paintings. You know, when I heard about this story, I thought, how good can they be? They're a pretty good painting. So um, it, it cheers them up. It puts a smile on their face. It almost makes them proud to be wearing that cast um, in what can be quite uncomfortable uh, situation for them as well. That is a good one, Danny. Um, <laughs> okay, mine is Gina Harris, and she is the oldest woman at 82 who is going to be cycling the length of Britain. Um, so she's going all the way from the bottom of Cornwall all the way to the top of Scotland, and she's doing that to raise money um, for women against domestic violence and raise awareness uh, for women. So it's for uh, women's aid and refuge, and I just think that's an amazing thing to be doing at 82 years old. So good on you, Gina. Vote for me. 
<laughs> There's no way I can pick between those two sort of selfless people. I, I'm not sure I feel comfortable <laughs> choosing between two great causes. Uh, so I, can I chalk this down as a draw and, and avoid the controversy? Oh, I don't want anyone what are you? Switzerland over there. Uh, no, <laughs> no Jax, is, Jax is better. Jax is better, no, I think. I, I think that's fair because you can't say, oh, no, I hate women or I hate children. <laughs> that's what you'd be saying if you picked one of them. So. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Um, well, so I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. So your business is Conscious Clarity um, and, and you're working with, you know, um, anyone really of all ages. So uh, how, how's the best? What's the best way for people to, to get in touch and find out more and then potentially work with you? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, uh, business is called Conscious Clarity, uh, consciousclarity.co.uk. I'm mainly on LinkedIn. I'm I'm not brave enough to go and do the whole social media for it just yet. I think if I do it, I want to do it properly. But maybe one of your listeners can run my TikTok or something one day. Yeah, yeah, so Conscious Clarity, we've got a business page on LinkedIn. I'm Frank Brown on LinkedIn as well. Um, Yeah, and I just want to say thank you. This has been so much more, uh, more fun than um i have necessarily <laughs> advocated in my day i wasn't expecting to have this much so i love it and thank you so much for having me no it's been great having you on um hopefully we can have you back and go into some more detail in in a few weeks on some of these topics so i think it's really important and hopefully will really help our listeners um well yeah that that's it from us everyone thank you so much for listening 